Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here at Big Table Farm. It's Tuesday, May 28th, 2019. We're here with Claire, Claire Carver and Brian Marcy. Uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, we'll start you off by asking you a nice, easy question, which is why wine? Why, how's that easy? <laughs> <laughs> why wine? Why are we making wine? Why wine? Why, how, how did you get to here? Why, why are you at this point? Um, we like to drink it. Yeah. Uh, I actually started off uh, making beer, um, and I've been doing. I did that for a while, and that's what I studied, um, and then and then did professionally. And along the way, uh, I got introduced to, to wine um, pretty early on. And then uh, um, living in Calistoga, um, and I uh, uh, the last brewery that I was working in closed. And I didn't want to move, and uh, I'd already started drinking wine, had friends in the wine business, and it was a pretty easy transition. So that was in 1999, and um, it's never looked back. So, yeah, we've uh, been doing this since here in Oregon since 2006. Um, uh, so I spent you know the time after that learning how to make wine in California, and then we decided we wanted to do it for ourselves, and we wanted a little more space, and. Um, we uh, pretty tight budget, and, you know. I was just working in cellars, and Claire didn't have much money either. So, um, uh, more space in California wasn't going to happen. So we have, so we uh, um, started looking, and uh, this fit all of our criteria in terms of what we were looking for. Um, so yeah, we uh, I've always loved to to cook and to eat and to drink, and wine is a I just think uh, a really easy and natural pairing to food. And um, we've just continued that as part of our lifestyle, part of our lives, I guess. Uh, maybe, maybe even too much so, um, in lots of different ways. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, I like wine, I like to drink it, I like to make it, and I'm glad that someone knows how to sell it, because I'm not a very good salesperson. I would just give it all away, actually. You would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we would, yeah. We wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for Claire. And in the early days, when I, I met Brian in 99, and he'd, he'd done a few vintages during his process in beer, but he, he was just really getting into wine uh, at that point. And it's just was, it was very romantic to me. I was like, oh, you're in wine? That's cool. <laughs> wine country is beautiful. But I knew nothing about wine at all. And I was working as a a fine artist and a graphic designer. Um, wine packaging was interesting to me at that point um, as, a, as a designer. And um, in our, when we were first dating, we were just, I was commuting back and forth up to the Napa Valley. We were living in San Francisco. And uh, so I, I definitely spent a lot of time up there. And then we went, before we moved in together, we went to Australia and he worked a vintage there. And I think that's where I really kind of got hooked on the, on the business with him where it was like, oh, this is a whole sort of different approach to your life and 
although I, I thought I was a good cook, I realized I wasn't. You did a pretty good job in Australia. But I really, I, but I really That's enjoyed it. That's when you worked it. at it. Yeah. That's when I worked at it. And I, I started to realize that there was so much to learn. And that's, I think that was sort of when I got a little bit bitten by the bug. Um, from a creative person's standpoint, um, just that there were so many layers and it was so just beautifully rich in all these different ways, both from a food and as well as a production standpoint. And when we were dating early on, I did tons of paintings of vineyards. So like I, the aesthetics of it appealed to me um, and you know, it was very convenient that my boyfriend was a winemaker or was learning to be a winemaker. Mm -hmm. So, and then early in our dating, we, we bought, we bought our first house in 2000 and he was working for other people. And at that, during those early years, I was doing graphic design and marketing and wine label design for wineries. And I started interacting with all these different people that were starting their own brands. And between Australia and those early years in Napa, it was like, well, well maybe we could do this, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I think those early seeds were planted. Um, and because, again, I was helping people from the marketing side, I was like, well, you know, of course, you can't help, well, maybe some people can, but if you, you're naturally entrepreneurial, which both of us are, mm -hmm. um, you can't help, we couldn't help but think, oh, how would we do this mm -hmm. if, if if we were going to do our own project. And so even in those early days, we definitely were paying attention to what other people were doing and, and soaking it all in, I would say. And, and, and that time in Napa uh, really informed a, a lot of decisions we made when we came to Oregon. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, didn't, we certainly had to learn a lot and have learned a lot on the job, <laughs> on our own dollar, but we definitely brought that that those 10 years in Napa with us or his 10 years my you know eight um, when we came to Oregon and we had some pretty clear ideas whether they were right or wrong time will only tell of how we wanted to approach our business mm -hmm. um, and as Brian said we chose Oregon um, for for a couple reasons um, a, a big one was was the um, feasibility financially of us to be able to to start something here because we had we didn't have um, deep deep savings. This was as Brian says, it's a first career, not he, a second. Yeah, it's a it's a first career, not a second. So yeah, we didn't we didn't make a bunch of money somewhere else and then start sure. start a wine brand as a second project. Sure. Um, so when it is a first project, a you don't have a lot of financial resources. But you don't have a lot of business acumen either, and so even that we've had to learn on our on our own, and and, and we've definitely had a lot of people uh, help us and give us amazing advice, but we've still had to learn it, and and some of those lessons have been hard won for sure, whether it's you know how to build a, our own website or do uh, online sales or you know credit card transactions or QuickBooks or accounting issues or employees or all, all, so many different things, but yeah, so. There you go. Google calendars, still don't know how to use those. 
So come back to challenges in a moment, but I'm curious, uh, Brian, specifically, um, when you made that transition from beer to wine or started to get interested in wine, what were the what were the kind of important learning points you had? What was it you needed to know to be a winemaker, and how did you kind of learn those skills? Um, well, on the job. Um, I had already just finished school, and I was uninterested in going back to school. I was still paying for the first time around. I was like, I don't, I don't need to go back. And I'd met people who didn't have formal training, and that was that was all I needed to know. Um, or as all just not all I needed to know, but that was the inspiration. Like, okay, I can learn this just by doing it. Um, so making beer is uh, factory work. You know, breweries breweries are they're hot and they're loud and they're stinky, and you do the same thing over and over and over all year long. And the goal is to make a consistent product. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from a changing agricultural uh, input, whereas the winery uh, making wine is still an agricultural product, but the goal, at least in the places that I worked, and and my goal now is to make the best the best product that I can from a changing agricultural input. So, in my mind, it's a little bit more like uh, cooking, and it's a little more creative mm-hmm. in that you can take this. Um, uh, product that has seasonal um, variation uh, or vintage variation and and make make the best you can um, and it doesn't have to be the same year in and year out and that to me is a more creative endeavor than trying to make the same thing over and over and over um, and then the seasonality of uh, of winery and so let the dog in sorry sorry put okay. it in it just open it the seasonality aspect of working in the wine winery is also really attractive in that you know we're really busy during harvest and then um, things slow down in the wintertime and then springtime it's busy, summertime is busy um, and then of course you start all over again with, with uh, um, harvest and, and winemaking um, and that, that appeals to me as well and that there's the, the rhythm of um, uh, Agricultural, I guess, and, and the growing, the growing aspect of it, uh, in a way that you don't get with uh, making beer, where you know the grain comes in a truck and goes into a bulk bin, and you know hops live in a, in a cold room and a freezer, and you can use them use them all year round. And certainly, it's there are creative aspects to that, but it, mm, the wine is, suits me better. And then again, I, mean, I always love to cook, and that's really even as a little guy, and I think that's that's where. Um, uh, the the using your senses in making wine is uh, important uh, to me, and I, and you know the cooking and then wine, uh, food and wine go to better go to, I think go together really well, um, without even trying in some ways. Whereas um, I think the applications for beer in a meal are a little more limited. I mean, certainly there are possibilities, uh, but but not not quite as versatile in, in terms of. Um, a beverage to be consumed with food. Uh, certainly, there are people that are going to tell me or would say otherwise, but uh, you know, I've, I've tried both, and yeah, you know, the wine is is definitely, from my perspective, a much better companion to to a meal. So, I think you know, there's there's like different expressions of creativity in different people, mm. and and some people, um, you know, if you think about songwriting or painting 
for example, where you're interacting with something that maybe is more uh, ephemeral. And then there's this creative process that I've seen you reproduce over and over, which is where you're interacting with a raw material. Mm. And I've seen that when you've done sculpture, mm. like in our, you know, we've taken scraps of metal, whatever, and you've seen something and you've had like a spark or an inspiration from that thing and then you've made it into something else. Mm -hmm. And you do that when you cook and you do that every year during harvest. Because mm -hmm. a very important thing that, that you do during harvest is Brian does all the sampling himself and he goes and he tastes those grapes and that that spark that happens, I've seen it. Yeah, year in, no, year yeah definitely, yeah, you. absolutely. And, and you, that that moment when you decide that this grape is presenting in a particular way carries you all the way through harvest and informs your decisions as a creative maker mm -hmm. all the way through harvest mm -hmm. and there's like yeah it's it's interesting to watch you and i think it whether you're cooking or making a piece of sculpture for our yard or whatever or making wine, you, I've seen that spark happen to you and watched it sort of go throughout. And the same is true for you. Yeah. When you're painting. Yeah, when I, when I see something. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But my, it's interesting though, because I think mine is less like from a single object, where I think, I don't know, it's just, it's like a different, maybe it's the same. But, that's awesome. I like that. I'm curious about you, you kind of described your winemaking philosophy as making the making the best of what you have in that given vintage or making it like the best it can be. Did you have that coming in or is that something you've kind of developed as you've become more of an experienced winemaker? Uh, no, I think that's that was something that um, I I've sought, I guess, in terms of uh, where I uh, went um, to learn how to make wine. Um, I wanted to work with people who were um, making uh, uh, a highly regarded wine. And um, I think that's just my personality, is to always, yeah. Seek out the best. Seek out, yeah, whether You've it's... always worked with. Yeah. yeah, you know, whether it's... Uh, um, I, I'm competitive, I guess. It would be the um, with myself and, and, and then uh, not so much with others, but I definitely have... Um, competed, you know, um, athletically uh, when I was younger in, in lots of different ways. And that's always, I think that's a similar sort of a um, drive, drive, I guess, driven. in terms of yeah. sort of how you, how you do things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I live with, with what I make. And so um, literally, I mean, our, you know, this is our tasting room right here and our kitchen's right there. So you know, it's, it's not that I don't have to travel that far to, to, to try the wine that I've made. Um, and so, and, and I do, I make that commute pretty regularly. <laughs> I walk from the kitchen to the tasting room and to see, see how, all the commute yeah, into the garden, into the garden to see how it's, uh, to see how things are doing. Um, so yeah, so I drink my own wine regularly and so it better be good because otherwise I wouldn't want to drink it. Mm -hmm. So, and then I think that's something that's pretty unique and that, um, because Claire and I, uh, started this um, uh, uh, small and just grew as we could. Um, we and we chose not 
to uh, bring in any investors or partners. Um, so we, uh, it's all, it's all from, comes from our, our hand, mm -hmm. so to speak. We don't have anyone else um, putting their two cents in. Um, and so, or dictating style. Dictating style, yeah. We, we get to decide what it's going to be and what's the expression, too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the sauce. Well, I mean, this is it right here. This is, this is where it starts. And, and so we get to make, make those decisions. And we get to make what we want to drink. And fortunately, other people seem to share um, a similar uh, uh, aesthetic when it comes to the wine that we make. Um, so, yeah. That was a long answer, I think. That's. Um, cool. I'm not sure even what the, what the question was. That's that's the whole, the whole goal here is for long answers. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys mentioned you mentioned coming up here for a specific reason in terms of being able to afford space, uh, and you mentioned kind of developing your own ideas while you were in Napa about what you would do with your space. So, what drew you to this particular piece of land as you were kind of plotting out what you wanted to do? Well, we had three criteria. Uh, that were important to us in terms of um, where we where we landed um, and one we need to be able to afford afford the property and two there needed to be an established wine industry so that we could both keep working and then three we wanted to be close to um, a metropolitan area you forgot the fourth one what's the fourth one I had to ha be able to have room oh, for a horse that. well that was kind of my priority, not yours. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And one and four were kind of the same. If we were gonna yeah, find some place being an ass. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, those those in this this area just fit really well for all those things in this property. Um, this place was way more than we uh, were looking for in terms of size, and, size price. and price and scope and all those things. So it was, it was a real stretch to to make it work. Um, and the house was pink on the inside and the outside when we bought it and definitely needed some work. And we had just finished um, uh, fixing the house that we had sold in California in Napa. And I spent about four years, five years, you know, from top to bottom. From and the I, roof to climbing around in underneath and spider webs. Yeah, and uh, I was done. I didn't want to do it again. And I was like, ah, fuck, here's a new, another, another, <laughs> another, house, house, another, house, another house project. Another house project. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, we've, we've done things slowly and yeah, there's still more to do. Oh, there's still more to do. Um, but yeah, it just fit. It just felt right. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, but it just, it, it had, you know, this lower part here. Um, that we, we could uh, use for pasture. We, we knew we wanted to have animals. Um, and then there's the hillside that was appropriate for a uh, vineyard, which was also something that we knew we wanted to do. Yeah. And then there's about 20 or 25 acres of mature trees that are just nice to have to be able to you know, wander through when there's a moment and you need a break from We from need to wander. Yeah, we need to wander around. We don't do that that much anymore. And I think the, I mean, we did know that we wanted some animals and we wanted to grow oh, yeah, some yeah, food. Because yeah. yep. when we lived in Napa, we had, yeah. we bought like seven little chickens. We had chickens we in had our backyard. backyard chickens. You know, like so many people do. Mm -hmm. um, we had a little victory garden. We like dug up the lawn on one side. I mean, we were 3,000 square foot. Wasn't it? It was larger than that. 7,000 square foot? I don't know foot? what it was. I don't know. It wasn't that big. It was big. just a downtown house. It yeah. was just a little city lot. But... So we had garden and chickens, and I guess that's all we had. But that was, you know, backyard chickens were 
our neighbors thought we were weird, you know, yeah, because this was 15 where, years ago. Yeah, and Yeah, this you know, was more than 15 years ago. 2000. 2000? We sold that in 2000. It was 19 years ago. 2006, we sold it. We're getting old. 2006? Yeah, 2006. Yeah, but we got chickens in right away in 2000. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 2019 now. Anyway, yeah. So, so I think the that aspect, and when we lived in Australia. Yeah, that's right. We were kind of window shop at the, you know, the real real estate offices, and, and be just, like, oh, we could have some animals, and yeah, dream a little bit. Yeah. But that wasn't the right place. That was yeah. that was too far away from family and whatever. Yeah. So. And then when we were making the transition, we both read the the omnivore's dilemma. Right. And that was like, oh. Well, that just informed how we. Yeah. How we did things. We'd already decided to. We'd do. already decided, but informed and inspired a little bit. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Because um, we came up here and and got Godio and her mom. Right. And Edward right away. Well, I had my horse. And then the chickens. And the chickens right away. And we, uh, you know, if we hadn't read that book, we would have just built a chicken coop. And instead we built the chicken bus. Which, which we is, still have. It's still that's out there. The, that's where we move around. Yeah, and out of old scraps that were here. That were here, yeah. And, uh, and then just read more from that book. Um, and that's... It was a jumping off point. Yeah, yeah. Like where, and you know, how do you, you know, keep animals and move them around. And um, so that's, you know, we, so we've learned how to do you know, managed, uh, managed pasture or managed uh, grazing, both from reading and from um, just practice. And so that's something that's been really important to us as well, that, um, that we knew that we, want, we wanted to do in addition to all the other things that we've, that we've done. Um, in fact, that might have been more important, um, at least initially anyways. What you know, might have been more important? The animals. You know, more important than what? Than uh, winery and vineyard and you know, all those things. I mean, as I said at uh, some other some point, that if you told me that 12 years ago that our lives would look like this, I, I wouldn't have believed you, you know, that all of this was, was happening. And, you know, we set out to do a few things and it just sort of has continued to, to grow, snowball. Here we are, yeah, juggling. <laughs> yeah. What did you envision with the, you, you envisioned talking about animals on a farm and, and wine, how did you envision it working together and, and has it worked in, in the way you thought it might? You, you say you would, can't picture <laughs> being here, but it seems to have worked, so. Well, yeah, definitely, we, uh, it's definitely worked, but it's been by the seat of our pants, really, it'd be the, the short answer. You know, I mean, my, my vision was, um, so we sold, so we bought that house in Napa in 2001 or some two or something like that, and then we sold 2001. it. We sold it in two thousand six, and no, um, two thousand. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we had it four or five years, and uh, we sold it in two thousand six. And I, you know, I saw the writing on the wall. It had basically doubled in price, and I realized that we were sleeping in our ability to do something different. And I'd wanted to sell that, and then and then just buy something outright, and so that we wouldn't have to worry about paying a mortgage or paying rent. And of course, then we found this place, and, and your wife loved it. Yeah, and it was just like, ah, oh, fuck, this is, this is not what I had envisioned. This is way more, and you know, I'm gonna have to get a job and work and figure out how to pay the same mortgage again. And even though we put a substantial down payment, and we still had the same mortgage basically, 
So that wasn't what I had envisioned, and so it just sort of went. Sorry, baby. That's okay. It's it's been fine. It's been good, but it just um, so just as for example, I mean that wasn't what we intended, and then we started making wine because I bought grapes, and uh, and then we had to figure out how to sell it, and we didn't really have any way of selling it, and we knew that you know the wine country weekend was part of the the deal, the you know the Memorial Day that we just did, mm -hmm. and Thanksgiving, and how do we get people to come out here and and we were like, well, we, you know, we will use our house, and because that's all we had, it was still pink on the outside at that point, and we changed the pink on the inside before we moved in. That was Claire; was her brilliant. She knew that if we didn't paint it before we moved in, it would never happen. Never <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Once you like put all your furniture in there and everything, it was like, yeah, Aw. yeah. So we got it painted on the inside, but uh, yeah, we. Uh, um, I don't remember how we went to get our SEW, and we went to the county, and they're like, uh, you can't. You got to do all these other things before you can. So I think the first time we tried to do the open house here, we we couldn't do we it. Couldn't do it because we had put a bunch of things in place. So we had to get a conditional use permit, um, uh, and we then had to once make more parking, we had to make more parking. And so, um, you know, so where just in front of that metal shed, you could barely get one car in there. And so and I think it was 2010. I can't remember. Yeah, and you know, was, harvest had just ended. And we were out there, we bought... It was raining. It was raining, and we bought, um, I think, two or $3,000 worth of gravel. And we were out there with our little tractor, spreading it around, and, and shovels, and wheelbarrows, and... Exhausted. And we were just, yeah, and oh just so God. we could, you know... Just so we could host... Host people to... We made just enough money to pay for the gravel, and yeah. that was it. <laughs> but, like, you know, that was what we did to sort of get started and uh, figuring out how to sell one. And we were psyched, like, we paid for the gravel. <laughs> <laughs> one step. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we bought a lot more gravel since. We bought a lot more gravel since. <laughs> but yeah, we, anyway. Yeah, those first years, I mean, we just re, everything that we made from selling wine, we just put back into gravel or buying more bottles or buying grapes or whatever. Yeah. The first 10 years of doing this, we didn't take a paycheck. So we didn't actually start taking any money out of the business in the form of a paycheck for 10 years. So it's definitely been a process mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's funny to hear you say that, Brian. Like say what? We had no vision. Because I don't know. I, I feel like there was a little more of a vision Ooh. than just like, oh, just like let it. And, you know, I it, when we moved here, I felt like we knew we wanted to plant vineyard. Yeah. Yes. No, that's true. And and I I thought we knew we wanted to have a winery, but maybe you didn't I don't know. feel that way. My memory's not as good as yours. But about I mean, things. I mean, I know we knew we wanted to plant vineyard because when that's we right. looked at this property, we got it soil tested. Yes, you know, you're absolutely like we right. We made the decision to buy this property because it was appropriate. It was appropriate for vineyard, and we walked the site with Kevin Chambers, and that's true. he helped us to do soil testing. So yeah. that even if we've both forgotten, uh, I we wouldn't have done that unless we had some inkling or hope or dream that we would plant vineyard here. Yes, you're right. So. Just saying. Yeah, okay. You're right. We weren't totally hapless. No, of course not. But, I mean, but it, like I say, if you told, told me that this is what my life would look like 12 years ago, I wouldn't have believed you that we'd put all these things into place to, you know, 
that you guys are sitting here interviewing us. It's a lot busier you know I mean? than we expected. Yeah, yeah, tell me about that. Tell me about how people found you and how you grew the business. Um, slowly but surely. Yeah. Would be sort of the... Yeah, when we got our very first wine score, what year was that? That was from the 2006 vintage. Right. So it would have so been like in like 2007 or, or 2008. Yeah, 2008. We were making our wine at a custom crush facility and I got the score. I don't know how I found out about it. it must have been on my... We didn't really have phones then. There was no iPhone. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, I must have seen it written down. Somewhere, yeah. And I was so excited, I ran around the block. Because <laughs> I didn't want to like gloat or be weird in front of the other people who were at the facility with us, so I just ran around the block. But it was, it was huge. And it's not that those, I mean, and, and that score, honestly, compared to the scores we get now, would have been one that I wouldn't even pay attention to now. But uh, so that, that really helps, mm -hmm. you know, having so many reviewers taste and mm -hmm. give us accolades. That's been huge. Um, there's been a lot of press of just telling our story. Mm -hmm. um, that's been really helpful. Uh, everything from, I remember back in the day when Kathleen Bauer wrote us up all the way to the New York Times, you know, and everybody in between, whether it's food and wine or that huge spread and sunset, like all of those things really help. Yeah, and then we also would go to uh, Pinot Days in mm -hmm. California, um, which is just basically a tasting of, of Pinot, Pinot Noir. And we did that with our very first vintage, with the 2008 vintage. Yeah. We made 175 cases and of, of Pinot. We were. And we would go to this thing and Oregon, where's that? But we still, we would meet, meet just one or two people that were uh, in, interested and genuine and... We met Patrick Kaminsky at one of those things. And Rusty Gaffney. And Rusty Gaffney. So those things, those events were, were really important. You know, uh, they had it uh, in Southern California, in San Francisco, two or three different times. And um, yeah, we, we would go to those and, uh, and just stand behind the table and pour our wine. We still do it. Because back then, we still do the Wineries Association didn't have the Pinot in the city. If, if they'd had that, we would have done that instead but they yeah. didn't have that event yet or we, were, we were unaware of it or i don't know I what i don't think they had it and yeah. we were too small for ipnc back or, then. and pinot camp as well yeah yeah that's right although we did do uh a ipnc event here oh um, that's right we did a lunch here we hosted a lunch we weren't allowed to be in it yet because we didn't make enough wine right but they invited us to host a lunch yeah. Which was so. wacky because we didn't have a winery. It was just like this grubby little farm. Everyone was up in the barn and they were way too hot on the grass. Oh, it wasn't good. <laughs> it was a warm day. It was a warm day. It's always a anyway. warm day during IPNC. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. Uh, what was the question? How did we uh, get the word out? Or? Yeah. How did, oh, you, how did, yeah. you, how did so, you grow to here? So press. Good wine. Your wine's yeah. really good. Well, and then we would, um, you know, we had our house. Uh, and we'd take appointments. Um, people would call, and if they wanted to come out, we would say, sure, come on out. And uh, um, I'd bake bread for every appointment. It's and always been by appointment. We've never done it a different way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we sold, if I, opened, if I opened three bottles and I sold three bottles. We considered that a win. That was a win. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, I mean, that's the same. The same money that we would have gotten if we sold those six bottles to a distributor, mm -hmm. and yet we'd made 
we'd made a friend. And, um, who hopefully would buy them again. Who would you know, have a, had a great time and then come back um, or buy more in the future or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we really had to figure out how to sell wine. We didn't, we didn't know. It was, that was a new... I'd never done that before. And I'm not a natural salesperson, unlike some people. Clementine? Yeah, but even that I've had to learn. Like, yeah. I remember hey. seeing our... Hey, be quiet. We're interviewing. This is our turn, not your turn. <laughs> She's really old. She's, she's and bossy. She's over thirteen, and oh she's deaf. Hi. Okay, we hear you. Um, I remember. I was like, okay, I have this. This is before we had distributors, mm -hmm. so we were self-distributing in Portland. And I asked uh, our friends Ken and Erica because Erica worked in a restaurant then, and Ken was working for Galaxy. And I was like, how do you even? see accounts like what's the protocol and Ken's like okay you make an appointment you take the samples you know sometimes they do cattle call tastings like this is how it works is this going to be awful <laughs> we've had plenty of dogs on interviews before it's just part okay. of the course okay um and I remember my very first appointment and I'm not going to say who it was but I went to a wine shop and they weren't super welcoming and kind of beat me up a little bit and I finally just said let me just pour the wine for you and they clearly weren't going to buy it by how it, the whole thing had started so I just poured the wine and almost ran out of the shop and went into my car and just cried because it was it was just so hard I just and I, I'll tell, I tell people that that story now. They're like, you? No. Because <laughs> obviously I figured out how to sell wine and I'm fine at it now. And just the fact that somebody made me cry is amazing. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, was, it was scary in the beginning. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, and like, we would... Every single, single sale was like a make or break deal for us. And it was there was a lot riding on it. So... Um, yeah, those 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 early days were. We would talk about it being uh, being a, a a pitch black room, and you can't find the light switch. That's and what we it were, felt And like. we were constantly sort of feeling around trying to find the light switches to figure yeah. out how to how to figure out what to do and uh, mm -hmm. where to go. And yeah, it was definitely a, a disorienting sort of an experience. Um, but we slowly just kept working at it, and you know, you keep. Touching the wall, you're going to find that switch eventually. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so we've definitely turned on a few lights. Was there a moment where you felt like you had kind of figured it out? Was there something, was there something that, like, where the light felt like it was on and was going to stay on? Um, 2016, 10 years in. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think we had enough of a track record in terms of um, sales that we could. Um, start making decisions about um, based on based on previous years, and I think that was um, that was important mm -hmm. just from a, as a business. And, and we weren't like it was less and less like oh my god, is it going to work? Yeah, that's true too. You know, I mean, and because because there was a big there was 2006 all the way up until 13 when we did it. We did a crowdfunding campaign in 13. We had a little bit of business savings, and then we did a crowdfunding campaign, and then we did a loan against our house. And between those three things, we built the winery here. So that we were on a really, really skinny budget uh, to, to build the winery, and 
that was even, and that was 14, and that was before we'd even taken a paycheck. So, and that was the first year we got that, a really big tax bill. So there was a bunch of things that happened in 14 that were just like, I don't know, this is, this is, it was, that was, again, really scary. So it wasn't until we saw clear of that for at least a full year mm -hmm. until 16, I feel like, until it was like, okay, this is probably going to work. Because mm -hmm. we, were, we were definitely over our skis a little bit in 14 with the construction and just everything. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, 16 is probably when. It started to feel a little bit better. Yeah. And now this year, between 16 and 18, we started, I keep talking about started taking a paycheck, making it sound like we started buying cars and vacations, but we didn't, of course. We just saved that money. Clementine, just lie down. Um, and that's how we've started the project that we're now embarking on, which is planting vineyards. Mm -hmm. So we started that last year in 18, spring mm -hmm. of 18. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then winter into spring of 19, we did the fencing. And then now we're doing the, the carbonization, which is our, I don't know if you heard anything about this project, but this is pretty exciting. Um, it's the first of its kind in the country. Um, and it's our uh, answer to the problem of uh, the slash piles created when you clear ag land. Um, and so it's still in process and we won't know for 10 more years if we're <laughs> crazy or brilliant, but right now it's feeling well, somewhere, in between. somewhere in the middle. Um, definitely crazy. Definitely crazy. But so that's been, uh, been a process and I feel like we're doing, we've made the right choice to do this. Mm -hmm. um, it's been expensive and, and definitely had some pitfalls and trials mm -hmm. um, because like anything that's never been done before, mm -hmm. but the guys we're working with have been great. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. This is the process to, to uh, change the smoke, right? To, to capture the smoke. Uh, yeah. tell, me, tell us a bit more about like what the what the plan is, what the point is. So um, the the hill um, that will be vineyard was planted about 15 years ago with reproduction timber, mm -hmm. um, with the intention of that that growing another 20 years to become timber. And since we decided to harvest it uh, prematurely, um, we didn't want to just uh, um, put a match to it um, and and burn it. So we wanted to make a product as it was intended. Um, so any sort of wood products, conventional wood products, were really not an option because the trees were too small. And so we, um, uh, I'd read about biochar and even made some myself on a very small scale. And it's like, oh, well, let's, let's see if we can, let's see if we can track this down and, and, and make it happen. And so that's, that's what we did. And so we found, um, um, someone who just bought, uh, this machine called the carbonator and um, they were willing to, they're from Indiana, they were called Blackwood Solutions and they were willing to come out here and um, take the, the, the harvested um, reproduction timber mm -hmm. and um, put it in their machine and turn it into biochar. And basically the way it works is it uh, has what's called an air curtain. So um, air blows across the top 
Uh, it's kind of like if you've ever walked into a cold room or where the blast of air comes down. It's essentially the same thing, but it goes vertically across the top. Um, so it um, blows all of the smoke and unburned gases back into the flame, and so they're completely combusted. And then um, the, the char falls to the, the bottom of the machine, goes through a, a grate where it gets quenched in water and then augured out the back, and you have basically uh, activated charcoal that can then be used as a... Um, it, can be, it has lots of uses. Uh, I think primarily what we produce here will be used for a, a soil amendment. Um, and uh, yeah, as a soil amendment, it is uh, um, charged and then has lots of pores, and so it'll hold on to um, physically because of the charge, hold on to minerals and um, nutrients, and then the pores will give uh, microbiology a place to to live in addition to acting as a reservoir for water. Um, so, it, and a lot of this is. And there are people who know a lot more about it than I do, um, and, and its effects on, on growing mm -hmm. um, uh, crops and food and, and things. So we won't put it in the vineyard, because uh, at this point uh, we don't know enough about how it'll affect that, and that definitely needs to be a, uh, a viable product so that we can continue to, to make wine um, that we can sell. Um, we will experiment with uh, the biochar in our pastures. Um, and uh, if the cows don't like the grass, then uh, we'll just buy hay, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think both of us, from the reading we've done, we'll see what we're pretty the optimistic. Yeah, is that one of the reasons not to put it in the vineyard is that it will potentially create too much vigor. Mm -hmm. mm. Like it'll make things too fertile, which too much fertile isn't what you want necessarily mm -hmm. in vineyards. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that we're worried it's going to poison it or something. Right. It's just right. create yeah. too much fertility. Yeah. So. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. So, yeah. And then, yeah. and then it is also um, a sequestration. So the instead of sending the carbon up into the air, you're keeping it in the form of biochar and then sinking it back into the earth. So. We're not yeah. polluting the air, and we're making a product. Sequestering yeah. carbon, and we're making a product, which is something that we've paid a lot of attention to in our farming practices. Right. I mean, even our pigs—they get fed out of our kitchen. They get all the tr fruit trees. They're finished on nuts. They start their lives and are fed here on the farm and finish here on the farm. Mm -hmm. And you know, our cows rotate around our pastures. They're fed hay in the winter that comes from a quarter mile down the road. I mean, things here, we try to, we compost absolutely everything that comes out of the house. Well, not everything, we have a little bit of garbage, but all of the food waste. And then we compost everything that comes out of the winery, in with everything that comes out of the barn. So. And I think in terms of the animals, the, what we've moved towards is uh, animals that can eat, eat grass, that can graze, because that's what grows around here. I mean, in the, in the beginning, we, we you know we did pigs and lots of chickens, and um, those animals all need uh, supplemental feed, mm -hmm. grain, and, and we'll still, we still do um, a couple of pigs for ourselves, but they're a smaller breed that do uh, really well, well on forage, on forage, and, and just a little bit of grain. Uh, we don't do as many chickens as we used to, or eggs. We still do some, and we still buy some grain, but we've really sort of changed our focus to, oh, grass grows here. Um, we're not grain farmers. Um, so let's uh, let's feed animals that do well on our on, on, on what we have in on abundance. what we have here. Yeah, exactly. 
So, yeah. Hence all those cows you saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. One thing, I'm going to get up for a second. I'll come right back. Sure. This is an archive. This is kind of cool. So this is this property in 1890. This photograph was taken in 1900. This is the house we're sitting in. And this is the Joseph Williams home. Um, and like I said, it was built in 1890. This barn burned in the 40s, but the barn that's out there, we rebuilt uh, and we designed from this photograph here. And we use this for pitch and scale and size and placement on the property. But then Brian and I also went around to other barns in Yamhill County and even down the road and looked at their construction style and then designed this barn to uh, be a, not, not a replica, but a... Well, I would say contextual to the house. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we used, we didn't really use that picture that much. In terms of placement and what we built, I felt like we used things that were still existing. Like I, all those pictures where I was, I would stand in front of the barn and then we would... We used those. Yeah. But, well, anyway. I did the drawings, not you. So anyway... <laughs> okay, maybe you did I that more than I, I think I used this more than you think I did. But yeah. anyway, I mean, it's a tiny picture, sure. so obviously we used other things as well. I yeah. mean, we spent hours and hours and hours driving around and Brian... Because he's just about exactly six feet. So he would stand in front of a barn and then I would like take little pictures and then do draw like do pencil drawings and we would look at them and I made a bunch of scale models out of foam core and mm -hmm. but we tried to and then the winery is up here and then we we made the winery look and actually I have a picture of this on my blog from way back. I could get it to you guys. Mm -hmm. And then I have a picture taken from the same vantage point of what we built. So you can see kind of 120 years oh, difference. Cool. Sure. These hop kilns aren't there anymore. But anyway, I just thought this was a, yeah, no, it's because this is the, because it's a historic homestead mm -hmm. where we're sitting. And the people who, uh, there, there's another photograph on the wall there. And that was a, a long-term loan uh, from the grand nephew of Joseph Williams who built the house. Um, and he gave that to us as long as we live here. Awesome. If we move away, we have to give it back to him or leave it here or leave it here with the house, but he has to know about it. So those were like the contingencies of that photograph, which makes sense because sure. those are his family members and he kind of wanted that prominently displayed. Sure. So that's really awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. Since we're talking about history and archives, mm -hmm. we've, we have this great book that we got from the grandson of the guy who built this house who used to live here in the canyon, whose name is Joseph Williams. This is Williams Canyon Road that we're on. Um, and when we moved here, I had a, a lost dog and I knocked on his door and that's how I met him. Oh. And he wanted me to show me his rock collection in well, his that's basement. Right. So, and then we just got chatting and he's so cute. I don't know, yeah, anyway, he's, uh, so then, and then he, realized that we cared about the house mm -hmm. and the history so he gave us this great collection there it's a a history book that they wrote it's a self-published family book and it had all these great photographs in it and all the history of the property so anyway that's awesome that was kind of cool as we're talking about design we're talking, we're kind of change gears a little bit and talk about your the your wine labels uh, obviously oh i had another uh, <laughs> What do we call this? Audio visual? No. What do you call this when you have a 
prop. You have a nice a prop. prop. Yes, yeah, we'll call a prop. prop. Show and tell. Show and tell, sure. Mm -hmm. So obviously your wine labels are really unique and interesting. And so tell us about your kind of process in designing them and, and, and the response you've gotten to them. So when we did our very first wine, um, the name that we had was uh, Big Table Farm. And it was basically because we couldn't think up a different name. And we had a big table. And uh, you didn't really like the name very much. No, I still don't really you like it. You still don't really like it? <laughs> well, you thought it was too pedestrian? Yeah. Yeah. How do you say big table farm in French? I don't know. Do you speak French? No? Okay. Uh, I think we tried that and it didn't work. It didn't fit us. Because no. we don't even speak French. Why do you have this French yeah. name if you don't even speak French? <laughs> anyway. Anyways, it fits. It's, it's, a good, it's an it's apt a, description. It's a great name now. We've grown into it. And it's grown on us. Hmm. But maybe not still. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Brian didn't then and apparently doesn't even still now like our wineries or farm's name. So he said, well, why don't you do a drawing for the front label and then we'll put Big Table Farm in the back at first and then we'll change it later. Mm -hmm. And having worked in marketing and design, I was like, no, like once you have a name, you have a name. So I like went along with it, but I knew we wouldn't change it, sorry. I know, yeah. Anyway. You know, you know I'm secretly a jerk. No, I never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so this is that first drawing, and this was our 2006 uh, Syrah. Um, and then, so then, uh, I had always wanted to do letterpress labels, so it was quite a process finding an artist to work with us. And in the beginning, this uh, this label was we used wet glue, mm -hmm. and it would take us about an hour a case. Mm. To I hand, yeah. I timed it once. To hand glue, because if you're working by yourself, mm. to hand glue each label, put it in a sling to dry, and then wrap it in paper. But we only made 150 cases, so 150 took, hours. It took us forever. To it did take us forever. So that was that first year, and we kept doing the hand glue labels all the way until the wet glue until 2010. Was it then? Mm -hmm. 11 was the first year that we had an I adhesive. Think so. Yeah. Um, but this, because we were hand printing them, we are like, well, we might as well do new drawings each year. Mm -hmm. So then the drawings started and they were inspired by things on the farm. So that first year we just had the Syrah and the Rosé and then we did Syrah and then we started making Pinot Noir. So the first Pinot Noir labels, these are the 2008 and that the Resonance Vineyard we worked with, mm -hmm. I did drawings of cows. Um, so this is, this is eight and nine. And we still had the Willamette Valley Pinot. And so I always put the pigs on the Willamette Valley. So anyway, each wine had a theme and there was a new drawing for each theme. And they're fun. They sort of tell our story year in and year out of what's happening. And an unintended consequence was I could tell which wine people had. They'd say, oh, I had your pig wine. <laughs> Oh, did it have pig butts on it, or did it have one pig, you know? And so I can usually tell what vintage they have based mm -hmm. on the drawing. And I would say that the packaging, because of its um, uniqueness and um, the simplicity of the drawings and the paper, um, uh, gained us a lot of uh, traction um, and help, really helped with sales. I mean, mm -hmm. people like wine that has labels that are attractive and yeah and we definitely that helped with the visibility of, of the brand mm -hmm. and uh, and you know that you can look across the room 
and know that it's one they're of quite our, iconic they're like people recognize our brand at yeah this point. yeah there isn't another one like it in terms of just the austere you know the heavy paper which no one else does I don't know that but yeah well anyway like this yeah <laughs> no one's crazy enough to do it yeah anyway but definitely I, I call it advanced marketing so now we spend about three or four weeks in the warehouse in January um, February um, labeling and uh, it means that we don't have to travel quite as much because yeah anyway there we go this book um, actually the archive should probably have one of these but um, this is our story of um, like why I do a drawing for each wine mm -hmm. um, so like this one this is the Sunnyside Vineyard. This is the Syrah. And, you know, and some of the stories are about, like, the Willamette Valley, I say. The first year we moved to the farm in 2006, we got pigs. I remember bringing them home in the back of our Honda Civic as wieners <laughs> in a dog crate. We've learned a lot since that first year. Now, 11 years in, this is two years ago, three years ago. After trying about six different heritage breeds, we settled on a small breed called the American Guinea Hawks. We've been raising this breed since 2013. They fit our farm and our lives very well. Our pigs live close to the house and therefore the kitchen. Between the fruit trees that start giving around August and our very productive kitchen, we only have to buy a couple bags of feed each year. The nickname of this pig is the homestead hog because they are easy pasture keepers. They fatten beautifully from just what a homestead would produce. Anyway, I go on. I talk about, you know, anyway, that's more of a story about the pigs. Some of these stories have to do with the vineyards. Like, I think I talk about the Catro Brothers vineyard in here. Mm. And that one's a neat one because it's, they're also an old family. Mm -hmm. um, down, they? down in Amity. Mm -hmm. They're down in Amity, yeah. And Julia makes wine, and they've had. That's the oldest certified organic vineyard. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, it's like here we go. The Cattle Brothers are as charming and as sturdy as old, the old trucks and tractors they use for working their vineyard and hauling their fruit. And I always do drawings of their old trucks and tractors on their things, on their labels. Um, I love drawing their old vintage trucks and tractors for these labels. Tom delivers grapes in his 1947 Ford flatbed all the way to, out to Big Table Farm each year. And those of you who come to visit us know that's no small feat. Catrell is the oldest certified organic vineyard in Oregon. I think the old iconic vehicles fit both the wine and the vineyard in a rustic down-to-earth way. So anyway, this whole book is... Uh, I wrote these stories on all in one day, actually. It took me a couple months to edit them. But we were, it was a day Brian was sampling. And on the first sampling day, he tries to visit all the sites, mm -hmm. which this was a number of years ago. But I was riding around the car with you for like 12 hours. And I had my yellow pad. And when he'd walk out in the vineyard, I'd be like, okay, so I'm sitting in this vineyard. Let me write the story of this vineyard right now. And so I would just take notes or memories or things. And that was the, that day and that writing was the start of this book. And I did this book. This is our 10-year anniversary book. We're now in year 13. So I did this a number of years ago. Um, 
but I wanted to have the collection of the mm -hmm. first 10 years of labels. So that's what this is. And I call it a book. It's a box set. It's a folio. It's a folio. That's a fancy name. A folio. folio. I'm going to start saying that. It's a folio. This is a folio. He would know. And You're an archivist. And it's, and it's beautiful. You know what folios <laughs> are. Anyway, so that's, that's the book of the collection of the drawings. You mentioned earlier that when you were, you struggled to sell wine early on and then you figured it out. So what did you figure out and what is it about your marketing that works so well? Telling the truth. Mm. Yeah. I know that sounds so simple, but, um, you know, in the early days when I was doing graphic design for people and helping them design their wine labels, they would say, oh, I want to do a label that looks like this French producer and this other producer who's a friend of mine and this other thing I saw last week and it's like you know what you're a dentist that likes bluebirds so let's do a label about that because that's the truth like that's the thing that is a story you're going to be able to tell forever because it's authentic and that's the thing that resonates more than anything with people is authenticity and that's um, always the highest uh, compliment you can pay me or people do pay me when they come out here and do tastings usually with me um, is that we are authentic mm -hmm. and uh, I think that is your best tool mm -hmm. if you want to call it a tool is uh, that's all any of us want is we want to be connected to each other and that's what wine does and if you're just extending that into the conversation around wine, when people are making a decision to take that home to their tables, mm -hmm. they just want to have an experience that's authentic and then take that experience back home and share it with their friends. Mm -hmm. So and we were talking earlier about your use of social media and how you've mm -hmm. integrated that into your marketing. So what, again, what is it that you try for in social media, in addition to authenticity, that makes yours so successful? I guess that's the thing. I'm not actually trying for anything. I'm literally just having a good time. Like, I just, I just love doing it. I love taking pictures of things. I just, you know, when my husband's out in the garden in the evening, it's just, it's sweet. Mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful. And, it's, I and she's not a very good speller, so taking pictures is a pretty good thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's true. I can't <laughs> but yeah, I just I like I like to share and I like taking pictures and that works. Like people want to see that. I mean, it's it's good that I'm I have a farm and not you know I'm trying to think of something that's not. Well, but I think when you go back, if it's authentic, if it's you know if if you didn't have this, it would be something else. It would be whatever we made for dinner that night or. And yeah. sometimes that's all it is, is if we make something, then yeah. that's what ends up, yeah, if it's, if it's picture worthy. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one thing that's important with social media is consistency. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's authentic, then it's easy to be consistent. Because you're not like, oh, I have to always use these five filters because it always has to look a certain way. If you're like, this is just who I am and this is my style and I'm just going to keep singing my song no matter what the circumstances, then you're gonna have consistency. Mm -hmm. You also can't be lazy. I mean, you have to, work you gotta it. work at it, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
So you mentioned that you're just, just sort of just now putting a vineyard in. So before this, you've been sourcing all your grapes. <laughs> he sat on Clementine. <laughs> you sat on her head. You big oaf. <laughs> Sorry, Clementine. You big dork. So I'm curious how you went about choosing what you wanted to make and then choosing where you wanted to make it from. Um, some of it just fell into our lap. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's okay, you know. It's, it's like, uh, um, of course, it falls in your lap. You can say yes or no, um, and you know we we said yes mm -hmm. to um, a few different things, uh, and it's just happened slowly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we started with um, Syrah. Uh, they came from California, so that was kind of an oddball, um, and didn't make it any easier to sell. Um, since we were in Oregon, yeah, from a business perspective, that wasn't really our best, our best move. But uh, but we both we both enjoy Syrah, and um, it was like I say, it just it made sense mm -hmm. to, to say yes. Um, and then as far as the Pinot Noir, um, yeah, we just sort of slowly um, added um, uh, sites or vineyards as they um, became available, mm -hmm. and. Um, what were you looking for? Um, initially, I was looking for older plantings. Mm -hmm. um, that was that's and still is something that's that's interesting to me. Um, maybe a little less important now as we've sort of moved moved forward. Um, but yeah, the, initially that was something that was that was pretty important, and uh, and we still have some that are part of like all well, like the Catchell Brothers mm -hmm. um, and Sunnyside Vineyard. Um, would be the two that are in the older older camp at this point. Mm -hmm. How old is oh. Palo Sandberg? When was it planted? Oh, I don't know. Early 2000s. So, yeah. But even that, you know, and, you know, as time goes on, all these things that were planted, which seems like not that long ago, is... 19 years. Yeah. Sure. You know, a, a, a little while ago. So, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, baby. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. There was a whole lot of uh, other than that in terms of there wasn't a whole lot of. Uh, I basically, I would just take whatever was offered to me, you know. And at some point, in the beginning, in the beginning it's wow. like it was really difficult to find uh, to find grapes. Um, um, I wouldn't say there was a shortage, but we weren't as connected, and sure. you know, we weren't. We didn't. We didn't nobody. have. A, nobody knew who we were, and. We didn't really know we that many people. We didn't know that many people. So how do you go about finding fruit? And uh, yeah, so we just kind of went went slowly. And like I say, as we could afford it. I mean, even if we'd been offered a bunch of different things in the beginning, we also we couldn't afford it. You know, Remember, because Matt helped us find the riesling. Yes, yeah, so we made riesling for a little while, um, and then we did made a conscious decision to pivot to uh, just Chardonnay, um, and that's that. That was a that was a conscious decision to. Um, give up the other other aromatic whites that we that we made, and to just focus on that. And I think that was just based on what we enjoy drinking and what I enjoy making. Uh, you know, I worked with Chardonnay in California um, pretty extensively, and um, and yeah, that and that's that's what I enjoy drinking is, sure. is Chardonnay versus um, the the aromatic whites. That's just that's just me. Sure. Yeah. Is this um, the world's longest interview? It's going good. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't even switched batteries yet. We're doing great. Uh, oh, okay. We're, we are getting close to that. I won't keep you too much longer. So, uh, What are you planting here? Uh, probably Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Yeah, I mean, that's the 
um, what 90% of our production is at this point, and that just makes sense. I don't know what clones and rootstocks and whatever. That's there's there's definitely there's some time to figure that out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do need to sit down and figure out what we're going to do, but you know, we wanted to prepare the the ground, so to speak, and be able to get a better sense of what's there um, before really sort of trying to make those decisions. Because once you do it, you're done. It's uh, you know, you don't, you're not going to get a chance to do it again, at least not here. Sure. So um, I'm, we're not in a hurry. I'm not in a, I'm not in a hurry. Um, so we'll take our time and do our best to match um, what our what our needs and desires are with what's appropriate for the the ground that we've uh, that we're in the process of, of preparing sure. so yeah I think for the sake of uh, history uh -huh. it I think it's worth m mentioning the people that helped us in the very beginning when we first got here who were influential absolutely I think Mike Etzel mm -hmm. um, from day one was just so generous with mm -hmm. just being um, just really encouraging. Mm -hmm. Like we spent some time with him socially and he came over here for a few different dinners in the beginning and he just, I always just got the sense that he believed that we were going to make it and that meant a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Kurt Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kurt um, and Natalie. And Natalie both in the beginning when we were looking for the light switch in terms of sales. I remember going over to their house really late one night. Like we called them at like 10 o'clock at night because we had some issue with somebody we were trying to sell wine to and we were totally upset by it. And they're like, well, just come over right now. And we went over to their house at like 10, 1030 at yeah, night, yeah. had some wine and they sat down with us for a while and talked to us. And that was when Natalie was like, well, do you have a credit card processing machine? We're like, no, do we need one of those? She's like, yeah, you do. And, and so the, the, those two were were great. Tad, yeah, Tad um, set. from Ransom, Ransom. Um, was uh, really just, he was a little bit of a soft landing when we first moved here mm -hmm. and introduced us to a lot of people. And mm -hmm. I mentioned Matt Burson. He, Kevin Chambers. Yep. Matt came up and hand bottled with us a number of different times. He worked harvest. He didn't work harvest, but he... I don't know, he was just... Around, he, yeah. He was around and he helped us with a lot of things and helped us source that first Riesling. And and then Kevin Chambers was really important. Um, he walked this property with us in mm -hmm. the very beginning. Brian also worked for him. So I worked did, for so him. And so did you, yeah. Yeah, he was one of my first label clients. Mm -hmm. Mike Etzel was my first label client. I did graphic design for him and that was important to keeping the lights on mm -hmm. in those early days. Um, who am I forgetting? Oh, I'm sure there's lots. But they, but those those were some people who they had. Uh, they were already established here and had yeah. stature. And to have someone who has already found the light switches sort of uh, help you was really huge. And and I still feel a lot of gratitude for that. For people being kind and it, it's important for us to remember that as we you know are doing better that you know there's more people coming mm -hmm. that we can in turn encourage and I think that's an important thing to remember but it's good to you know record it mm -hmm. I guess that those people helped us and and that that's what 
creates history is lineage of people, not just things or places. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So you talked about your, your sort of uh, steady, slow, steady growth at this point. So as you have gotten to a point now where you feel like you're successful and mm -hmm. you're starting to take a, take a paycheck, as you say, yeah. uh, what are you looking at in the future? What, are you, what is on the, in the, on the horizon for the next five or ten years? Well, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, well, we have this vineyard project that we're working on. Sure. Um, as far as the winery goes, we're not expanding um, production. We're holding. Um, you know, the focus has always been on quality and not quantity. And we're at a we're at a point where um, I don't want to make any more wine. And uh, I think that what we're, I think we're making um, wine that I really enjoy. I get to touch all of it, um, and I don't want that to change. I don't want to spend any more time in front of the computer than I already do. I'd rather be, you know, making it and doing it than um, asking someone else to to do it for sure. me. So that's that's uh, will that will continue that way. Um, I think we're well. Claire says that we're buffing and polishing. We're you know making things. Um, better in terms of um, just how things work. Um, I think we're going to try to not work all the time. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. How that? that yeah. That's definitely a new goal. Yeah. Um, we're, we both kind of do the job of three people and have been for 13 years, and we are getting a little bit worn down. Mm -hmm. So we need to make some adjustments. Yeah. So that that. So that. We just started taking one day a week off. We've been doing that a while, but it's not quite enough. We just started doing that two years ago. Hmm. One day a week. So, yeah. A little more, a little more, I hate to say, use the term, but life-work balance would be nice. Mm -hmm. Those goats out there are screaming. That's because the biochar guys took my ladder. Oh. And so I gave them hay instead of alfalfa, and they're pissed. Oh. They finally figured out that they don't have hay, and oh. they want some alfalfa. Oh. Sorry. That's it's awesome. Tangent. Uh, it's farm life. Goats you know. screaming. <laughs> what about the Oregon wine industry in, in general? I mean, you, you talk about kind of the welcome you got into it, and of course that's a pretty common story. People are, are tend to be pretty welcomed in. Yeah. What do you see, what have you seen change since you've been here, and what do you see happening in the, in the next, again, say, 10, 15 years? I've seen a lot of change. Uh, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of, uh, there's obviously been a huge influx of new projects and a lot more people who have experience in other regions, which I think is great for the quality of Oregon Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Because if you've worked harvest in, from a production standpoint, whether it's in Napa or South Australia or New Zealand or wherever, Washington, um, you're going to bring um, new sets of eyes and schooling and just all that experience to, to the Oregon projects. And you combine that with the Oregon collaboration mm -hmm. and sharing that naturally exists here, or not naturally, but mm -hmm. does exist here. Um, I think, you know, I've certainly heard people say, oh, you know, so many people are coming and and maybe cast it potentially in a negative light, but I see it as a positive. Mm -hmm. 
because uh, the rising tide raises all ships and when you have a higher concentration of intellectual property coming in from more places, I think that quality inevitably will go up. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very positive about all the growth. Um, does it make it a little bit more competitive? Probably. Is that a bad thing? Not in my opinion. Um, so, and do I see it changing more? Of course. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, change is inevitable. It's the only thing you can count on. Uh, and we'd get bored. Everyone would if things didn't change. Because that's the only, it's the only time you see growth is when you're challenged and things are changing. What do you think? I don't know. I kind of hit a wall. Sorry. It's time for a nap. It's okay. I only, it's got, one, I only got one question left. So hopefully, hopefully you can question. muddle through the one we'll ask. Yeah, one. I'm sure. Here, I'll give you a tea hey. twister to wake you up. No. You can give me a drink of water, though. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So my last question is: yes. uh, We know this is a this is a, See what this a, 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 a notoriously difficult industry on marriages, and so we like to ask the successful couples: What is the secret to making uh, marriage work in the wine industry, or in any small business? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we uh, well, we like each other, mm -hmm. um, and we. Uh, we spend a lot of time together, yeah. and we talk about everything, um, maybe too much, um, but we, we make all of our big decisions together. Mm -hmm. there, there are no uh, secrets that I know of. No. <laughs> um, I have no energy to keep any secrets. Um, we definitely have our roles um, that have become more defined as we have moved forward. I think in the beginning we both did, um, a, there was overlap of different things. I mean, because we're both trying to figure it out. We didn't even know who was good at what yet because we didn't even know what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's true too. Um, you know, I definitely would make the wine, and Claire did label design, um, and then sales and marketing. Um, but you but were involved in all that in the beginning. Yeah, but it, but that was sort of your, and still is your area of expertise. And of course, I would consult with you about you know making winemaking decisions and tasting. Um, but that was my area. Um, but then since we've grown, we've we have become more. I don't say independent in those areas, but um, maybe confident, and we don't need to check in quite as much. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then, you know, we've 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 hired people as we felt like um, we absolutely had to. Mm -hmm. um, we um, hired our first person to help um, with sales and marketing when we felt like we were unable to get back to people in a timely manner and we knew that hiring someone Tiffany Tiffany here's to Tiffany, here's to Tiffany that would would pay she would she, she would pay for herself because we were already losing um, uh, sales because we were unable to reach out to people sure. appropriately and so um, yeah so that's that's how we've kind of approached the the growth of our business 
Um, he asked you a question about how we no, stay I know. together as a couple. But yeah, but I'm just saying that we... Giving. <laughs> but that was something that, you know, was part of running a successful business and still yeah. still being married is that, you know, instead of making ourselves crazy trying to do it all, we've you know, hired people to do certain things. We still only have two full-time and one part-time employee. Um, so we're still small. Yeah. Um, and maybe that, maybe we do need to hire else. more people. <laughs> maybe, and maybe I don't know. that will make us able to take another day off a week. Yeah, maybe. Um, but uh, um, through all of that, we, yeah, we continue to talk and communicate and, um, and we don't have any kids. Um, so. Uh, That's why we're still married, because we don't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know. So we don't need kids. So instead of talking about kids, we talk about our business and yeah. and all the things that we um, can uh, um, would like to do, would love to see. That's that's where we put all of our our time and energy, and and we have we've done it all together. Yeah, it hasn't been, and there's there's enough diversity that it isn't all Brian and making wine. There's the animals and the art, and so there's. It's not like you're following me or I'm following you. We're moving down the road together, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, an, that's an excellent answer. Don't let her. Don't let her. Don't let her tell you any otherwise. Yeah. Um, I'm, I know that there's something that's about to. You <laughs> bite you in the ass. No. Smack you in the head. No, I. I was. I'm not talking about that topic. I'm talking. You definitely haven't painted as much as you'd like. Yeah. That's fine. Um, that is changing. Yes. The, you're you're witnessing just an internal thing. It's like so, Brian makes the wine, and we've built a business around that. But I am a fine artist, mm -hmm. and so we haven't spent as much time building a business out of that. Mm -hmm. Now, could you build the same business and size around my art career as we have around him making wine? Probably not. So I think we've probably made the right choice. But now that we've built that, that that that's what you're. Mm -hmm. That's what this is, and you know, hopefully, I'll be able to spend a little more time on that because that is my life's work. Mm -hmm. But back to I think what helps us as a couple, what I would say is mutual respect. We have the same core values, and our morning walk. Yeah, I was going to get there too, but you kept interrupting me. I was being <laughs> super quiet. I was sitting here like in rapt attention. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, we go, we exercise together every morning. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes we jog, sometimes we walk. Some, it's usually a combination therein, but it's about 40 minutes every morning up to the top of the canyon and back. And we, we always walk back down. Sometimes we, we're usually quiet going up because we're trying to run. Trying to run unsuccessfully in my case. Um, but we walk back and we talk every mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. and Not always about work, but a lot usually of times. about work. But it doesn't matter. It's still uninterrupted time with mm -hmm. just the two of us and no, no one interrupting. And mm -hmm. I think that's really good. Mm -hmm. And and I think we make all of our decisions together, even if they're unrelated. Like if I need something for the winery, I'll just check in and say, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and Claire will say, "Okay," or not. Usually they say okay. Do I ever say it's not okay? I don't know. Can't think of it. But I tell you what I'm going to do. If it's like a big purchase or something. Right. right. Yeah. You don't tell me you're buying like a hose clamp or something. No. Of course not. <laughs> Honey. 
Well, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much. We really do really appreciate your time and, and your energy here. Uh, this is the end of it. If there's anything I should have asked that I didn't or anything else you'd like to say here, this is your chance to have an open mic. I know we've kept you plenty long, so. Not that I could think of. Not off the top of my head. All right. No. Well, thank you. We really do appreciate oh, thank this. thank you guys. And, yeah. uh, go ahead and watch you off the hook now. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.